What's up, guys? This is PC, and this is your backstage pass to the Green Room Podcast Series. What's up, guys? This is PC. You're listening to the Green Room Podcast Series, and our guest today, I'm super stoked. We've got Brad Hubbard. He's the Assistant Superintendent for Curriculum and Instruction in Community High School District 117, which is just outside of Chicago, Illinois. Brad, what's happening, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing real well. Thanks, PC. I'm super excited and happy to be here with you today. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to get to have you on here as well. I got to meet you here. We're going to go more into that here in just a little bit, but I got to meet you just over a year ago, and I absolutely love who you are and what you're all about, all the things that you do in the world of education. And so along those lines, talk a little bit about your history, your experience in education, and how you got to the point now where you are the assistant superintendent for curriculum and instruction. Yeah, feelings are mutual. Uh, I really appreciate our friendship and partnership, and uh, super stoked to be here today. I think uh, you know, as I got into education, I, I, I wasn't really sure uh, how, where it would lead, and I certainly didn't envision myself sitting in a district office as assistant superintendent down the road. But my first teaching job was in Chicago Public Schools at Roberto Clemente Community Academy, and uh, I learned real quick that I didn't know a whole lot about teaching, and, and I knew a lot about my content area, but I didn't know a whole lot about teaching, and I was really blessed to have some friends. Uh, some colleagues, and, and, and in some cases, more importantly, uh, a couple supervisors that really took me under their wing and, and taught me the ropes about what it meant to be a teacher and, and how to build relationships with kids. And there was a guy in particular, uh, Bill Kennard. He's, uh, he was the assistant principal at the school at the time, and, and I think he saw that I was kind of struggling and floundering a little bit, um, really focused on putting my lesson plans together and delivering content, but really what I learned is that uh, a lot of students don't really care what you know until they know that you care. And I know that that's a, a, a cliche phrase, but it, man, is it true. And so, you know, Bill Kennard and, and a couple other people really took me under their wing and, and, and said, you know, you really got to get to know these students. You got to try to build relationships with them. Um, you got to make your classroom engaging and you got to make your classroom fun. And, and, and so, you know, when I started to do that, the game started to change in my classroom. I felt a lot more comfortable who I am and who I was and, and what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be as, a, as, a, as an educator, uh, you know, as a, as a partner in their educational journey with those students. And so, you know, when I looked up to Bill as a, as a young 23-year-old teacher in, in, in the city of Chicago and, you know, he had moved his family into the neighborhood uh, because he really believed that he needed to be there. He needed to be present. He needed to be a partner in the education with the students, but, you know, in a lot of cases with their families too. And so, um, you know, from right there, I looked up to, to Bill and said, you know, at some point I want to have a bigger influence and a bigger impact. And really, you know, watching him and so many other leaders that I've had the opportunity to get to know and blessed to become friends and colleagues with, um, I've always wanted to, to increase and include and expand my, my sphere of influence. And so, um, you know, from, from CPS, I moved into a teaching job out out a little bit into the suburbs of Chicago, and I was given my first leadership opportunity two years into that job. Um, they took a chance on the youngest guy in the candidate pool and somebody with zero experience, um, but I think that they they had seen my work ethic in the classroom and um, and coaching as well, and so they gave me an, an opportunity to get into the leadership, and, and from there, it kind of just started to, to snowball. I was given an opportunity to move over to Woodstock High School is an assistant principal where I worked with Corey Tafoya, one of the best leaders I've ever met, ever known. Um, and, and man, he, he showed me the ropes and taught me an awful lot. And then a job opened up here in District 117, and, and Dr. Jim McKay gave me an opportunity as a, a relatively young, uh, mid-30s educator to, to take over a building as a principal um, at Antioch Community High School. And that was the best job I, I ever had uh, for four years. I served as a principal there and just got to know kids and got to know the community and tried to make it a place where people like to come to work, like to come to school, felt like they were loved, felt like they belonged. Um, and we were able to move things in that in that school and things that I was really proud of. Here I sit today at the district office. Um, Jim gave me an opportunity to come over to the central office when the assistant superintendent position opened up. And, you know, looking back at, at Kennard and all those other leaders, I said, yeah, this is another opportunity to have influence over a couple of schools now and drive some of the curriculum and instruction that we're doing. Um, and I'm really honored to be here. I stay connected to the buildings as much as I can. 
and man, it's just it's super exciting work, and I, I'm just fired up every day to come to work. That's an awesome story, man. And yeah, you can hear that excitement in your in your voice as you're talking there. And you said something that really stuck with me along those lines when you're talking about when you first got into teaching, how you knew your content really well, but you didn't know a whole lot about teaching. And I can totally relate to that. And I think there's so many teachers out there that can totally relate to that too. Your opinion, like what can we do? What can you know teacher prep programs do? What can we do from you know a district level to help our new teachers, especially those that are new to the profession, be better at that classroom teaching, that classroom management style stuff. Yeah, I think that's a, that's that's the golden key right there. I mean, that's that's the key to education is trying to find ways to to make that be the standard, right? That people come in with the this concept of building relationships first and getting to know your students first, um, and really the content and the teaching and the learning are, are both secondary, but it comes a lot more naturally once you've established those. Those, those relationships and establish those partnerships. Um, and so I, I think the, the advice that I would give is and what I, we try to do here in our district is we try to tell that story. We try to tell the stories of, you know, some of the, the, the teachers that are really, really highly successful now and, and, and have them talk about when they first started and talk about the importance of those relationships and demonstrate those. And I think I try as a leader to model those as well. And so, you know, I think it's really important to forge those relationships with your staff um, and, and you start to create a work environment that they that they appreciate and like, and they feel supported in. And you're you know celebrating when they're celebrating anniversaries and celebrating when they've got their birthdays, but you're also at the funeral home when they they tragically lose a family member. Um, the, the more you can build that relationship and make it feel like a family, I think it's a better place to work. And then ultimately, I, I think a lot of educators recognize that that really needs to happen in their classroom too. And so they try to forge those relationships um, and create that environment in which students kind of feel loved and welcomed and belonged and, and, and have a sense of a sense of support, but also a sense of welcomeness. And uh, you know, the, the more that we can tell those stories and model that as, as educators and leaders, I think it, it trickles down into the classrooms, which is where the magic happens and where it really matters most. Hundred percent, man. You're getting me fired up right now, dude. I'm listening. I'm just like fist pumping over here listening to you man that's so so awesome one of the things that i love about you the most and that i admire because i'm watching you on social media all the time is how engaged you are and even though we talked about you know you are a, a quote-unquote central office staff member i see you in schools all the time you're at school events during the day at night doing those types of things talk a little bit about why that's important yeah you know relationships don't happen from this office and then you can't build a relationship with somebody via, you know, email and, and kind of leading through initiatives. I think really what you need to do is get some face time with students and staff. And, um, you know, I, I'm real, real big on this idea of celebrating and recognizing the positive things that are going on. And you can tell that from, you know, my social media and, and kind of where I'm engaged and where I spend my time. But the only way that you know what to celebrate is if you're around and know that it's going on. And so I think it's really important that that I'm in schools as often as possible. I try to get in classrooms as often as possible and just I try to maximize every day on the amount of face time that I get with our stakeholders, whether that's at Rotary Club in the community or that's at a, a leadership meeting in one of the buildings or sitting in the hallways. And um, I, I have a couple of kind of mobile offices that are my favorite spots to kind of just set up shop and work. So you just kind of say hi to kids in passing and, and talk to teachers in passing and kind of make yourself accessible and available. I think that that's the way you build relationships. And so when it comes time to, to address something that, that isn't going real right or you've got an opportunity for uh, for growth in a certain area, A, you know about it because you've seen it, and B, you're able to address it because you've built the relationships that people know that where you're coming from is, is from an, an intent that, that ultimately is looking at the income or the outcome for students. And so uh, I think it's important that, that when we go to address things, we've established those relationships and people are, are willing to partner with you and run through walls with you if they know that you're, that you're with them and you're supporting them and you're around. That's the truth, man. And so when you become an administrator, when you become central office staff, like we all go into it with this mindset of how we're going to operate, right? And we're not going to be that person that sits behind the desk in our office all day. But then what happens, so many administrators, they get so caught up in all of the stuff that we have to deal with, right? How do you make the time to make sure you're in those classrooms and in those schools and at these events? Yeah, I think there's, there's, a, there's a couple ways to do it and, and some things that I've learned from other people. And certainly I don't 
I never had all the answers, but I've been blessed enough to be surrounded by people that do it well. I think when I started in this position at the central office, number one is I try to start, and it doesn't happen all the time, but I try to start every day in one of the two buildings. And so I've got an unbelievably supportive superintendent here who doesn't expect me to be sitting in this office at 7 or 7.30 in the morning. You know, it's okay when I roll in at 9.15, 9.30, 10 o'clock because there's just an expectation that I'm out in the buildings in the morning. Um, And so instead of coming to the office where it's real easy to get sucked into a trap and all of a sudden look up and it's 2.30 already, um, I, I try really hard not to come to the office first thing in the morning, but rather to start in one of our two buildings. And I think that that's a way that I've tried to carve out um, some intentional time to be present. And even if it's for 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, um, checking in, shaking hands with some people, checking in with some teachers, um, you know, and saying hi to some kids, I think that that's a, a, it's a great way to start the day. And B, it's a, it's a, a nice reminder of the ways in which that I can not find myself hunkered down in the office. Um, when I'm in the buildings, I think one thing that I did as principal and, and uh, our leadership team there can attest to this is I listened intently for bells. And uh, when I heard a bell, you know, whatever we were doing, I was up and out of my office and back to the hallways. Uh, we used to have a leadership meeting on Tuesday afternoons that ran for two hours. And as soon as the bell heard, rang, regardless of what we were talking about or who was talking, the bell rang, we put everything down, and everybody was up and back in the hallways. And I think um, when you're in schools, You've got those nice reminders, right? There's, there's the bells ring, and those are signals for kids to move. And I think ultimately, those should be signals for for the adults to move too and get out and about. And um, and so I think that those that's something that I do. I try to be intentional about about that as well. And the other thing is I, I rely heavily on my calendar. And so you know if I feel like I've gone a couple of days without a lot of face time with students or staff or, or our community, I, you know I'll, I'll reference back to my calendar and try to just be intentional about putting on there meeting at, at Antioch or meeting up at Lakes and that meeting really isn't a meeting. It's just me as a reminder and a placeholder to get my butt up and uh, get over to one of the buildings and, and spend some time up there. And so, you know, I share my calendar with quite a few people in the district and, and you know, they'll see random random posts in there about just a meeting here, a meeting there. And really that's just me trying to remind myself to get back in the buildings and, and be present so that I, I know what to celebrate. You know, I, I'm laying eyes on what we're doing real well and and I'm also keeping my pulse on where we can have some growth opportunities. I love that, man. I always say that the magic happens outside the classroom, right? Like we've got to be out there in yeah. between classes, before school, after school, like you're talking about, you know, talking and mingling and greeting and high-fiving and all that good stuff. Because, yeah, that's that's where the magic happens, man. And so one of the other things that you do quite often that, that I absolutely love, and I'm kind of jealous because you travel quite a bit, is you're always attending educational conferences. And so I think that's super cool because it really illustrates that you're a lifelong learner, right? And that's so important for your educators in your district to see that as well. Talk about why you do that and then maybe a few of your favorite conferences that you've attended. Yeah, awesome. I in the district, District 117, it's so good to us in terms of opportunities for professional development. It's something I valued my entire career, but really been given opportunities um, in this district. I think a couple of things that are reasons why I think it's important. Number one is it really, really helps me stay fresh. I think when you when you go to places and you start hearing what other districts are doing, what other people are working on, it kind of the latest and greatest, and not necessarily have to adopt everything and bring it back and and infuse things. I know that there's some people who get real nervous when their central office administrators go somewhere that they're going to bring something back and make them change wholesale tomorrow. Um, and, and it's not from that perspective, but really just, you know, just some fresh ideas and to stay fresh and feel like you're out kind of learning. I think that that's really important. Um, in order to be relevant in this business, you, you really have to be reading and talking to people. Um, and and I, I feel like you need to be on social media and I feel like you need to be reading and I feel like you need to continue to grow and build. Um, your 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 network so that you've got opportunities to to kind of hear what people are doing but also reach across and you know what on days when i'm struggling i've got no qualms about reaching out you know i I sent pc some texts when i when i'm down in the dumps and just you know i feel like i need a little bit of a a booster shot and um and i do that with a lot of people that i know and I, i'm blessed enough to have a, a kind of a, a network that, that will respond and kind of pick me up and the other thing that going to those conferences, the most important piece is meeting people and building relationships and, and really building out that network and being intentional about who you're connecting with and who you're talking to and how you're following up with them and, 
and, and not just making about the two or three days at the conference, but being intentional about establishing a relationship that, 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 that lasts a little bit longer and, um, and whether or not you're circling back with that person on you know, a weekly or monthly basis or just a couple times a year, I think. Um, there's so many people that I've met on social media that every time I get a chance to go to a conference, I'm looking at the guest list and looking at who else is posting about it because I want to know who else is there that I can meet face-to-face and put a face to a name and shake hands and, and establish an even deeper relationship. Because, you know, I think those relationships on social media are great, but they don't really solidify themselves uh, as, as true partnerships um, and, and true opportunities to collaborate. And so I think a lot of times you get an opportunity to meet those people. And, and those conferences are a great place to do it. I, I've been blessed to go to so many um and it's hard to pick them i think um we did an educational uh leadership opportunity out at harvard a couple of summers ago um and it was leading and evolving vision was the name of the program it was a week long people from all over the world uh and i am still in touch with i talk pretty regularly my my buddy scott davidson down in, in australia he's been up to chicago to see me since that conference um really formed a lot of relationships at that conference, but the learning opportunity to the people that they brought out to Harvard to teach us about how to take a, a, a vision and really evolve it into action, um, I think was just, it was an awesome learning opportunity. And, and we've got some really great local conferences. We've got an Illinois uh, Computing Educators Conference, ICE, which is a big one. So many talented teachers and leaders and uh, and just industry experts, you know, there. I think it's, it's always great. Um, and I had an opportunity a couple summers ago to, to travel to Finland through Education First and uh, that opportunity to go to look at the schools in Finland uh, and then to travel to The Hague over in the Netherlands to, to to meet up with a bunch of students from around the world at a student leadership summit. That learning experience, uh, both people that I met, but also the, the things that I learned and, and the, the, the the things that I saw and just the initiatives and uh, just some different ideas to, to bring back and, again, provide that, that fresh look um, on what you're doing locally. I think those, those opportunities, probably Harvard and Finland, are, are two of my, my greatest experiences professional. Yeah, man. The first time that I met you, you stood up and gave us a little speech and you explained what your challenge coins are. And you actually gave one to me and I carried it around. It's in my backpack with me every single day, um, everywhere that I go. And I, I just absolutely love the whole concept behind that. Talk a little bit to the listeners about those challenge coins and what someone has to do to receive one of those from you. And now you got me pumping my fist, man. That's awesome. I, I'm honored to hear that you carry that around with you. I think, um, my first year as principal back in 2013-14, uh, I had been in the job for about six months. We had a, a district-wide professional development day in January right after winter break, and our superintendent had something come up and said, hey, Brad, I need you to, to kind of welcome everybody to our day of learning. And we had some students in the, in the audience. Um, we had some students participating with us that day in, in some professional learning. We had uh, full staff from both buildings in the auditorium, and, um, and it was hosted at the high school where I was principal. And, you know, I was, I'm like, man, I, I want to say something profound. I want to inspire people. I want, I want people to really look at this day and kind of, you know, take it head on and, and, and make it a learning opportunity. So we had some really cool things planned that day, um, but I really wanted to frame the conversation most effectively. So I'm a big quote guy, and uh, I started searching Google for different quotes trying to figure out what I was going to say to inspire the masses. Um, I, I was a little bit nervous, if I can be honest, about addressing the full staff from both high schools for my first time um, in the district. And uh, so I was, I was really struggling with what my message was going to be and, and how I was going to bring it and kind of fire people up for the day. And honestly, it wasn't until I was driving into work that morning, we could probably reference the NPR story, but um, it was on, on my way to work that morning, driving up Route 83 on my way to Antioch, and there was a story on NPR, and there was an interview being conducted with General Martin Dempsey, and he is the he was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, you know, and, and the highest-ranking military official, essentially, um, you know, in the United States, and they were talking to him about Syria and his time in Iraq. He was um, over all operations in Iraq at one point in his career, and um, he was telling the story, uh, uh, kind of sharing his perspective on things, but then they, they, the, the narrator kind of shifted into this, this story, and uh, essentially what they talked about was uh, on General Dempsey's desk, he has a wooden box, and on the, on the top of the box are engraved the words, make it matter. And 
he inside the box he's got the the photographs he has cards with some identifying information but, but more importantly the pictures of the 130 plus soldiers that were lost under his supervision in Iraq um, and what he does every morning according to the story is is he walks into his office every single morning and opens up this wooden box and randomly selects three cards of the fallen soldiers and he takes those and puts them in his breast pocket uh, of his jacket to remind him every minute of that day who he's working for who he's making decisions on behalf of and who ultimately uh, matters and, and and what he does is he, he takes that quote and he talks about this idea that he used to go to these services for fallen soldiers and he would look their 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 partners, their teammates in the eye, and he wouldn't know what to say. Um, and he really struggled with what were the words, what do you say to a parent who lost a, a child, you know, overseas, or what do you say to the to a partner, uh, um, a, a, you know, a, a mate, you know, a platoon mate in, in that situation. Ultimately, what he settled on is he, he looks them in the eye, shakes their hands, and says, make it matter. Like, that will mean the world to people. If they know... That, that they take this tragic situation and, and they, they find a way to make it matter, carry on the legacy. Now, I got up on stage that day. I've never been in the military, um, and I'll never pretend to to know what it's like to make decisions that have people's lives that hang in the balance. Um, I have the utmost respect for the men and women that serve serve our country, and, and I don't I don't want to offend anybody by trying to, to make a comparison but what I did try to do on that stage that day was to draw a parallel. And and while our work is very different, um, in education, as a principal, if I were to have a box on my desk, you know, whose pictures would be in there? And that's what I talked to the staff about. And I would argue that the pictures of the students that um, don't feel connected, that don't feel like they belong, that feel somehow invisible, or, or you know, in a lot of cases, worst case scenario, just quit, drop out. Now, those, are the, those are the students whose pictures belong in our boxes. And those are the students whose pictures belong close to my heart during the day as we're making decisions and working on behalf of the, the needs and the outcomes and experiences for students. Um, and so, I, you know, I got up there and just said, you know, this, this is some really important work that we're doing. And, and we've got days like today, these professional development days, to learn. To, to make ourselves better so that tomorrow when our kids come back in, we're better equipped to serve them. Um, and so I got up on stage and said that and kind of and sent everybody off, and I felt great, and, you know, um, I felt like I had come up with something that kind of inspired the, the, the masses. And then, you know, I kept thinking about that quote, make it matter, make it matter, and I couldn't wrap my head around, you know, how do I keep that going? Like, how do I, instead of just saying it, like, how do I make it a thing? So I did student advisory group when I was principal over at Antioch. And, we, you know, we met once a month and we came up with ideas. We talked about all sorts of stuff and, you know, made a lot of changes in that school based on student feedback. But one of the things that we did is we our school is kind of at an intersection of two kind of busy routes up here. And so there's a lot of traffic out, out front of, of Antioch High School. And so we used to take these random signs. And it was a video that I saw on the Internet one time about a guy that did this down in Washington, D.C., he took a sign that said, honk it if you love someone, and he just would stand out in D.C. and hold this sign up and listen to people honk and wave and try to get people to smile just to brighten their day. So I showed this video to our group of students, and uh, they said, yeah, let's do that, let's do that. So we made a bunch of signs. We got a bunch of poster boards, coffee, some donuts, hot chocolate. We went outside. Um, we used to hold signs. Every couple times a year, we'd go out there and hold signs. People would honk and wave and not take pictures of us. And the sign that I always held said, make it matter all it said and it was the same sign that I used for I think three years standing on that silly street corner and you know started to get a little tattered up a little bit but I was always I wanted to continue to make use that quote to inspire people and then that first summer after we did that um, you know I continued to try to think of ways and um, I think that the military has a history of challenge coins and um, you know my dad had been given a couple of challenge coins and um, he you know talked about the impact of those and, and receiving them from from officers and things like that and so ended up finding the company to work with that uh, that helped me stamp and create these challenge coins that kind of said my name our school logo um you know our, our respect responsibility and pride and then in quotation said make it matter 
and uh, I was real blessed with an opportunity my first day of school, my second year as principal, to bring my wife and at the time two pretty young daughters in. You know, they were there for an hour and a half long staff meeting wondering, what the heck are you doing? And, um, you know, they're running around. But at the end of the meeting, I had an opportunity to kind of retell the story, unveil the coins, and, and they're all numbered. And uh, I issued numbers one, two, and three to my wife and two daughters um, because, really, they've given me the opportunity and the freedom to really try to make it matter on behalf of other people's kids my entire career. So they give me the time and the space to be present here and to do my work and to chase my passions of going back to graduate school and taking a principalship and all that kind of stuff. And so um, had a unique opportunity. So what I do is I carry one around me all the time in my pocket, never find me without at least one of those challenge points. And I try to take an opportunity to, to give them to people that, that go above and beyond. Um, you know, I've given them to a, to a student um, who had been a frequent flyer in the dean's office. But I walked around the corner one time from 50 feet away. I saw him bend down and tie the shoe of a student who couldn't tie his own shoe when nobody else was there. And I walked straight up to him and gave him one immediately. You know, I've given them to, to you know, my mom, who's been a huge influence in my life. I had an opportunity to, to give one to her. Um, and I've given them to community members, to students, teachers, people that make it matter. And, and that means something different probably to me than everybody else. But it's, it's a, 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 I think, a unique way to continue to, to make that quote um, something that I try to live by and try to, to, to share with other people and bring to other people to inspire them. That was probably way longer than you wanted, but that's the story. No, I, I love it, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, I've, and you've told that story a few times, and, and it just gives me chills every single time. But that's the first time that you've talked about giving the first three to your wife and to your two daughters. And so I'm sitting here, like, crying. Like, oh, my God. Like, oh, dude, you, like, hit me right in the heart with that one. Like, that's that's powerful. Like, as powerful as it gets. And, oh, so cool. I just I just love everything that you do with those things, man. You've got some unbelievable schools in your district and I see your posts all the time on social media and all that good stuff. Take a second or a couple of minutes, however long you want to go here with that and brag on some of the cool things that you guys have done in your schools here this year. And, and it's a hard question because there's so much. I, I honestly, I love, adore and respect our students. We have got some of the hardest working staff members, most dedicated professionals I've, I've ever been around. And our students are second to none um, in, in terms of just willingness to jump in and, and do just about anything. You tell people we're going to focus on relationships, they focus on relationships. You tell kids they need to buckle down and we got to do our best on this, this test or, or we need to come together and create this learning opportunity. Man, I, I, our students and staff are run through walls for people. And so I, I, it, it's hard to identify some specific ones, but certainly um, I think there's, there's two this year that kind of stuck out as, as soon as you start asking that question. And I think um, you know, one thing that we try to be real intentional about is our work on making sure that this is a learning environment, that we've got learning environments that are meeting the needs and servicing all of our students. Um, our, our mission statement is to ignite action and discovery in every student. And when we say every, we mean every. And when we say all, we mean all. And, uh, and so we've tried to, we've done a lot of work over the last couple of years to try to identify, you know, who aren't we serving and why aren't we serving them. Um, and a, a friend of mine who is a, a professor and a, a, an equity expert and a, and a, and a worker uh, who just does incredible work, um, anti-oppression and anti-racist work out in Colorado, um, you know, she, she talked to me about this idea of student voice. And, and I prided myself early on as a principal to have these committees where kids could come and share stuff and um, they felt like they were being heard. And, and I think she challenged me a little bit and said, if that voice doesn't have power, then it's for not. And, and so, man, that really resonated with me. And I've been tried to be really intentional over the last couple of years to make sure that when we're tapping people for their, for their stories and their experiences and their voice and their input, um, that you have to give power to that voice. They have to see some change. They have to see some things being done with what their perspective is. And so we've got an equity committee that meets, and, and, and an offshoot of that equity committee, arguably the most important piece of that, is we've got these, these student voice committees in our two schools. The format for both of them is a little bit different. Their names are a little bit different. But at the end of the day, we're trying to create spaces for students to come um, and, and for students that, for whatever reason, have felt othered um, to come and tell their story and, and be honest with us about 
you know, what we can do. And so um, throughout the course of, uh, of some time now, we've got these student voice committees. And, you know, I think the students and even the staff said, all right, enough talking. What are we going to do? And independently of one another, which is super cool, um, we had student groups at each building put together videos that told the experiences and the stories. Some of those stories were, you know, life experiences, but some of those happened in our classrooms and happened this year in our classrooms. And those students told their stories uh, uh, in the creation of a video that was ultimately both principals. We've got two great principals. They, they looked at it and said, this needs everybody needs it, everybody. So they scheduled some time. They put together talking points for teachers. Um, they, they, they shared it with the staff. They had carved out some time in the schedule. And independent of one another, these two videos this year were shown to the entire student body and the entire staff of both buildings, um, really trying to shine a light on some of the students that were not serving. And, and whether that's through a, a policy or a, our, our curriculum or the environment that they're in or some of the things that their peers have said, we've tried to shine a light on where we need to grow and where we can grow. And, and the one video, we put a video together for an institute day this past January, and, or uh, in March, I'm sorry, and, and that video, um, at the end of these students telling their, their stories, and, and that video in particular actually had other students um, telling the stories of students who had expressed them. And so it wasn't that student on camera, um, but it was kind of this uh, another student telling another student's story in, in a really powerful way. And, and for the first time in this video, you can see a student looking directly at the camera. Everything else has been blacked out, the view from the side, really well artistically done. And, and a student looks in the camera and says, Dr. Hubbard, what are you going to do? You know, Mr. Gomez, what are you going to do? Mr. Newberry, what are you going to do? And they just, they, all of a sudden, everybody just sits up straight. They're like, holy cow, now that you know it, what are we going to do about it, right? We're, we're trying to trying to, to shine a light on, on where we can grow, and our students are challenging us to grow. And I think, man, there's nothing more powerful um, than a student looking at in the eye, whether it's on camera or in person, saying, what are you going to do to make my experience and outcome better? And, and I think that that's really cool work that we're doing um, and something that I think both schools, rightfully so, are really, really proud of. And the other thing is, is an awesome project. We've got a, a math teacher up at Lakes um, is doing a project named Brian Phelan, and uh, he started this thing at the beginning of the year, and I guess he got it. He came up with the idea over the summer. Um, he got an idea that every single day he comes into school and he puts a name tag on, and that name tag each day, sometimes it has a word, sometimes it has a phrase, sometimes it has a question, um, but he's utilized it, and he's called it the Post It, Wear It, Live It campaign, and it's on Twitter. Um, he posts it every day, whatever his name tag says, and it's his unique way of engaging students and other staff members in conversation to build relationships. And so people ask him, well, why does it say Snickers today? Well, that's my favorite candy bar. What's your favorite candy bar? Or it can be, you know, on testing day, you know, encouraging kids to, to, to get through, um, encouraging kids to, to buckle down toward the end of the year, you know, trying to throw out some motivation and some inspiration. But also um, he's used, utilized it in ways to, to have conversations with students and staff members to build relationships. And I think it's a crazy, unique idea. Um, and are really effective, just really neat to see. I love seeing them uh, in the hallways and trying to catch a glimpse of what he's wearing each day and see, you know, is it something I can strike up a conversation with him about. But he's got it on Twitter. He's been journaling every day, um, and I know that he's kind of looking forward to turning this thing, I hope, into a book, um, which would be awesome, this post it, where it, live it, um, you know, what, what conversations, who he got to meet throughout the year that he wouldn't have met otherwise, you know, who said um, who gave him what kinds of feedback throughout the year on, on how it impacted them. And, man, there's nothing cooler than a project like that. Those are both awesome, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I love that idea there. With the, like, That's super cool. And then the whole equity piece, like that's a huge thing right now, you know. And I think you said it best right there in that it's one thing to talk about it, but at the end of the day, talking doesn't do anything. What are we going to do, right? What's that call to action and to actually get out there and to create that change? And so, yeah, that's as powerful as it gets. And you guys have made yourselves very vulnerable in, in allowing those videos. I think that's a lot of times where the line gets drawn is so many schools for one reason or another won't even allow that video to get made 
right? Because they're afraid of what what it's going to say. They know what it's going to say, right? And so for you guys to be willing to hear, because it's not easy to hear that kind of stuff, right? Like, what are you going to do? But that's an opportunity for growth. And for you guys to allow that and to embrace that, uh, that just says so much about you and about your district and the people that are working there, man. So that's that's a powerful, powerful thing you just talked about right there. In our world of education, the retention rate for teachers, new teachers especially, there's so much turnover, especially in those first you know, three, four, five years. Um, nowhere near where we need it to be, where we want it to be, right? So talk a little bit about, and we hit on this a little bit earlier, but what are some of the strategies, some of the resources that you guys do in your district to kind of foster those relationships and to develop those new educators so that hopefully they're going to stay around in the teaching profession for a long time? Yeah, I think that's, Man, if I could figure that out once and for all, you know, I, 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 I'd have a story that that everybody wanted to hear. I think, you know, we try to do some really intentional things to try to in, improve our retention rate. Um, you know, we want teachers that are here for the long haul. We know the impact that teachers have in the classroom, that they're, they're, the, they're the most important thing that's going on in our building. And I think the first thing we really try to do is genuinely love on them. And I think, you know, celebrate our new teachers, try to, uh, put them in positions where they feel like they're welcomed and they feel like they're embraced. And they feel like they've got the tools, uh, kind of the supports to be successful. Um, you know, we've, we've got a mentoring program. We've identified some of our, our, our veteran teachers that have been here for, for even just a couple of years, but some longer than that. And they'll pair them up and make sure that there's a, there's a relationship that's formed with somebody that our new teachers feel like they can go on. But, you know, we, we were trying to be real intentional about kind of loving on them and celebrating them. I had a, a professor uh, in, in a program that I was in said that in education, your most valuable resource are your new teachers. And, man, that really that struck a chord with me. And that's something that I've got this silly folder that I have that I write down stuff that inspires me. It's a manila folder at this point. It's a little tiny, you know, chicken scratch all over the place. But one of the things that's written on there is, you know, your new staff are your most valuable resource. And boy, we got to treat them like it. So you know, we try to, to do things for them. We give them a little bit of a swag so they've got some spirit wear to wear. Um, we try to make new teacher orientation something that, that's kind of fun. And we also try to make it inspiring. Um, we give them the connections that they need with their department chairs and with another mentor teacher um, so that they've got some people to lean on. And I, and I think there's two other things that, that we do is one is we, we're really explicit about the fact that we didn't hire you to give you a binder and tell you what to teach, right? We're not going to give you a, a Google Drive and say, here's all your lesson plans, go to work. Um, you know, we hire people intentionally, and they're brought here for a reason. We really want them to contribute. And I think that that's something that resonates with new teachers is, man, they, they're looking, you know, I've been here for a month, and they want me to weigh in on, on what this assessment should look like or how we're better going to leverage this project or you know, what are ways we can engage students better in a, in a lesson that they're struggling with. And I think, you know, we, we really want them to contribute. I think that that's a message that they hear from administrators. They hear it from, you know, their, their department chairs. They hear it from their, their team members. And, and I think, you know, when I remember being a, a new teacher and not really knowing what my role was, I think we're trying to be real explicit about what people's role is. And we want them to contribute. The other piece is, you know, like I said earlier, and I've benefited from it and, you know, we've got a really our board of education and this district office really support professional learning. And I think people that are given opportunities to go to conferences, present at conferences, build their network. Um, you know, even I know that the, the, the closer knit your network is, you know, it, it helps during those, those times that are rough. We all got bad days and we all struggle with different things and different times of year. And the same is true for our, our newer teachers. And if they've got a network of people that'll pick them up, that'll keep them inspired, that'll give them ideas, that'll that'll help them create shortcuts for how to get stuff done, you know, I, I think that that's huge. And so, trying to be intentional about providing those opportunities for professional development and network development, um, I think, are two real critical pieces to to trying to to keep people inspired and and get them through those first couple of years so that they feel like they can kind of hit their stride. For sure, man. And so same concept, except let's talk about principal turnover now. And all across the country, this is like a bigger and bigger issue. Um, There's a school down in Texas I've been to for three years in a row, and they've had a new principal 
all three of those years. And so like if somebody stays there, a principal longer than three years, a lot of times it's becoming the exception. And that's a big deal because, you know, it really takes, I would say, three to five years to really put your stamp on the culture of a building as a leader. And so if we've got that frequent turnover, it's really hard to create and maintain that culture that we desire. What can we do to address that issue? Another great one. It's a huge, uh, it's a struggle. I think uh, principal turnovers, it, it impacts schools big time. You know, teachers are certainly um, the most influential piece of a school, but I think there's there's a decent amount of research out there that would suggest that the principal is, is uh, you know, probably falling into second place in that race. You know, whether or not they're there and consistent and, and kind of visionary and, and, and inspirational and motivational, you know, those things matter. And I think principals can really, really move schools but principal turnover can really stagnate schools. And, and those are things that we need to be careful of. Like, you know, the things that we try to do and, and the things that I think have really probably more so benefited me is, number one, I think it's, impo- it's important to, to be real about what the job entails. Um, you got to be upfront and honest. I mean, these are huge jobs. Uh, you know, in a, in a comprehensive high school like we've got in our district, you know, these two schools, there's something going on in those schools all the time. And, and, you know, as a principal, you feel, you, you feel the need to kind of be there and to, to, to be celebrating and to be participating all the time. And I, I think it's, it's important that people understand kind of what they're walking into. And so being real about the job and the expectations kind of at the outset are really important. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, trying to develop opportunities for people to offer coverage or to have a real conversation about what you really need to be at and, you know, what are the command performances and what are the things that you can stop into for 20 minutes on your way home, but then go home instead of staying until the end and, and, and how to manage, you know, your, your appearances and your time and, um, you know, when you need to be at things and when you can get your stuff done in your office and, um, you know, trying to help somebody you know, really utilize their calendar in terms of, carving out specific time to do specific things because otherwise things start to snowball. And, and man, I, I felt that. I feel it in this world too. You, suddenly now you're so far behind that you, you don't know which way is up. Um, so trying to provide, you know, I, I really, really benefited from some incredible assistant principals when I was at Antioch. And, and, and those people, would, they'd come into my office and look me in the eye and say, you're going home. You're going home. We're going to this. We're going to take this coverage and we'll be at that event. You're going to go. And I think it's really important to make sure that our principals are supported by teams. Um, you know, district office personnel can jump in on that. Um, assistant principals and department chairs jump in on that. You know, and, and I think that, you know, once you get out there and establish yourself as you know, bought in um, and you, you're still present, I think that there's, there's, there's places where you can start to pull back. And I think any principal would benefit from somebody having a real conversation about what those things are and, and how, to, how to navigate that. Then the, the other thing, that uh, that I benefited from and, and, and allowed me to do the job. And I know that, um, you know, I was only, I was a principal for four years, still in the district, I think, doing the work. Um, but, but four years is, um, was, was manageable because this community and this school district from our superintendent down to our students and our parents and the members of the Rotary Club, they embraced my family. Um, and they made this a place where I didn't always have to pick between work time and family time, right? I could, I could blend those things together. You know, when my daughters were the grand marshals in the, in the parade, the 4th of July day parade, then I get to be in the community, but I also get to be doing something pretty darn cool with, with my family too. And I think that what we can do, um, you know, when you when you hire a principal, man, you're hiring their family, and, and, and that same can be said for your teachers. Um, you really have to make them feel like they're welcome, that they're loved, and boy, this community really, really did that for me. And they made every aspect of the job manageable because I knew that they they appreciated me, that they saw me, that they heard me, that they valued me, um, but that they were loving on my kids. And you know, they my kids been down on the on the floor with the cheerleading team at the state competition getting their medals. My kids have been at, you know, half court during halftime of the basketball game with kids chanting their names and they they they've been the grand marshals in the parade. I, I think, you know, we have a community here that embraced my family which made the work a lot more palatable and manageable.
You said a lot right there, man. And so let's let's continue down that road where you're going there with balance, uh, because the work life balance. I know a lot of educators struggle with it. I know a lot of administrators struggle with it. I know like I struggle with it. Right. Um, how do you balance that work life balance? And, and like you've been talking about, you've got a beautiful family and a wife and two amazing daughters. What do you do? How are you intentional about making sure that you maintain and create that balance between your personal life and your life as an assistant superintendent? You know, I really struggled in my, my entire career. I struggled with trying to find balance. And I think people, uh, you know, people say you're never going to find true balance, right? You got to figure out how you can ebb and flow into, you know, what, what's taken priority at certain times throughout the year, certain times throughout the day. Um, this is an area where, where I've tried to grow a lot, but I've also struggled a lot, if I can be honest. And, um, you know, a couple of the things that I've, that I've, uh, that I've tried to, to be more intentional about and, and to, to, to seek things to seek support for um, would, would be to, to literally schedule time. The first time that I ever heard somebody put, like, family time or dinner with the family or, like, an appointment with your family on your calendar – I thought that was ludicrous, but then when I started to do it, man, it, it could change the game. And so you, you identify a date, man, next Wednesday, man, it's not a real heavy day for me. So I'm going to block out from, I'm, I'm, I'm going home at 345 and I'm, you know, I'm going to ask any family after this. I'll put an appointment on my calendar. Yeah, I, I plug stuff into my calendar where, man, I'm going there. I'm going to be there. Um, and, and taking opportunities so you don't feel like you're missing that stuff. And so as, as crazy as it sounds, and I had this conversation with my kids and my wife too, you know, I, I'm scheduling time for you. And that, that sounds awful. But I think if you're intentional about it, uh, it, it creates an opportunity for you to, to make sure that you carved it out and that you're, you're holding up your end of the bargain, that you're going to be there on the date that time and you're going to participate in that. Um, you know, I, I've tried to do that. We found some things as a family that we do and, um, you know, we, we do, we're big college football fans. So that's our thing in the fall. That's what we're doing. If you want to know where I'm at on Saturday afternoons, that, that's where we're going to be. I'm going with my kids and, and very little interrupts that, even though some things pop up and we don't make it to everything. But, you know, our goal is to try to carve out the things that, that allow us to spend the time together and not let those get interrupted. I think another piece that, that has helped me is I've become a better listener. You know, when, when my assistant principal, one of the assistant principals would walk in when I was principal at Antioch and, and say, you're going home tonight. And listen, and go home. And I think that that's, that's key. You know, a lot of the times I'd then shrug it off and say, no, 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 you go home. You know what? I, I'll take this. I'll, I'm gonna, I was going to go anyways. Um, but, man, when I started to listen and say, oh, you got it? I, fine, I'm going home. And when I started to listen, man, I found the benefits of, of those opportunities. And it's just, I was blessed with a great team, and I still am. Um, that give me those opportunities. And, and, and I think the, the more I listen, uh, the more it allowed me to kind of strike that balance. And that listening goes to when you're at home too. You know, I, I listen to my kids. Um, the thing that I'll never forget it. We were in Chicago um, years ago and it was, I was a principal at the time and um, my daughter took a coin to flip it into a, a fountain. And she said, I wish my dad didn't have to work so much. And man, that hit me like somebody dropped a ton of bricks on my chest. Yeah. I'm tearing up talking about it now. And man, I listened to that. And, and, uh, you know, I listened to them when they tell me to put the phone away. And I listened to them when they tell me to shut my laptop on a, you know, Saturday morning when I'm working and they want to go outside and play. I think listening and I, I, being a better listener has allowed me to find out when I need to be present, when it's okay for me to be gone, when somebody else has got me covered, and when somebody really truly needs me. And so becoming a better listener, I think, has allowed me to find a little bit more balance in what I do and who I am and who I'm, who I'm available for. And uh, I think it's really important that, that you, you find that time. And if you need to schedule it in the beginning, so be it. Schedule it. Um, but at least you're, you're carving out the time and you're not going to burn yourself out. So true, man. And you guys are huge Michigan Wolverine fans. And my Blue, Raiders, right. my Blue Raiders are coming up there in September. And so I'm still kind of kicking around if I want to watch the uh, – the bloodbath that I'm, I'm sure that that's good, that's going to be. But you posted a video here on Instagram here within the last, I guess, well, about a week ago, uh, when your daughter's watching the NFL draft and one of her favorite players got drafted and her reacting to that. And I just thought that was so cool, man. No, oh, it was awesome. She was, I mean, we, we watched all night long. She couldn't find out where he was going to go. We had an opportunity to meet him, uh, Chase Winovich down at the, the Peach Bowl. 
um, down in Atlanta. And, man, you thought she – I mean, she was more excited to meet Chase Winovich than meeting Cinderella when we were at Disney. And I'm not kidding, man. Uh, so, yeah, it was awesome. So cool, man. So last question. Talk about one or two of the things that you guys have planned in your district that you're just super stoked on. I think, you know, it goes back to this idea of, of being intentional about creating the conditions for people to be successful. Um, you know, leadership and, and, and really creating the, the cultivating the environment in schools is the most important work that we do. And so, you know, we're really running down this road of equity. We've got um, this equity committee stood up. We've got subcommittees off of this committee that a lot of people will say don't form committees you know they, they slow you down but man we're, we're charging ahead we've got the student voice that did the videos um we're, we're looking at bringing in some some work around this idea of culture responsive and relevant classrooms and i think that that's really going to start to to change the game in terms of um just the conditions that we have in the classrooms that we have in the environment that, that we're creating so that all students feel welcome feel a sense of belonging, feel an opportunity like they can succeed here. Um, and so I think that that's really important work is, is chasing down this road of, uh, of equity and, and continuing to, to identify and deconstruct barriers, whatever they are, that are prohibiting people from feeling like this is a place where they want to be and a place where they're able to be successful. And the other thing that I think is really important for us, um, and we've, we've been working on it for a while, but we're, it's starting to get some traction. And uh, we've got some some kind of marching orders, and we're doing a lot of work around this idea of social emotional learning. Um, you know, our students are reporting that they're feeling, uh, um, you know, a, a lack of a sense of belonging in some situations, and stressed in a lot of situations, and overwhelmed in a lot of situations in the particular times of the year. And we're we're trying to be intentional about collecting that data, looking at that, and then and and trying to infuse things that are going to help our students kind of. Uh, feel better about who they are and how they manage themselves and their time and their 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 priorities. Um, and the same can be said for our staff. I think you know we, we need to be tending to the social emotional needs of our of our staff too. And so you know we've had a lot of honest, honest conversations in the last couple of years about who we are as an organization and who we are as kind of this institution of learning. But really, you know, what can we do to to really cultivate an environment? in which everybody can succeed and everybody can thrive. And so this idea of social emotional learning and equity, those two things aren't separate, right? Those two things are really closely tied together. And um, I think that that's the work that we're most excited about because the, the better we can create the environment, um, you know, the sky's the limit for our kids and our staff. We are so fortunate with some of the best in both respects. Um, and, and all we're trying to do is make sure that we've, that, that the conditions for growth and achievement are, are, Right. And, and if we can get the conditions right, you know, they'll take care of the the achievements and the accomplishments and the accolades and all that kind of stuff. So there's an educator out there that's listening to this and they're just like, dude, I want to go work for this guy. I want to go work in community high school district 117. How do they connect with you? How do they connect with your district if they were interested in doing something like that? Yeah, our district is it's an awesome place. Uh, we're 50 miles north of Chicago. Um, we've got lakes. The lore up here, one of our high schools is named Lakes. Um, so, I, you know, we got plenty to do. People can connect with me. Uh, I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter mostly at Hubbard Bradford. Um, no space, anything, just put it together, last name, first name. Um, and then people are always welcome to reach out. We've got a school website, chsb117.org. Um, and work, reach out to me via Twitter, Instagram, email, whatever. We're always looking for, for people to join the team and join the fight. Um, and whether or not they're working here, I'm always looking to build the network. Well, Brad, man, the world of education and just the world in general is a better place because of people like you in it, man. And I can't thank you enough for all that you do. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show here today, buddy. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Same, same goes for you. I'm a better person for knowing you and, and every student that you influence, every educator you come across, man. Uh, you're doing the work, too. And I, I love you. Love you, too, buddy. Guys, you've been listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the podcast, if you do me a huge favor, if you would rate it, subscribe to it, and then share it with a fellow educator that you think might enjoy it as well. Chase your dreams, kids. Mm -hmm.